through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on cable, dish, direct TV, they can go to www.hotm.tv and click on streaming video and watch it from anywhere in the world. We also have our archive shows there almost 200 hour-long shows that we cover every topic imaginable uh, relative to Mormonism and Christianity, so check that out. I was a born-again Mormon, available to you through download now, through a PDF at www.bornagainmormon.com, excuse me. Um, If you don't have a computer, be patient with us. We're trying to get the other uh, third reprint done as we speak. What are you doing to learn your Bible these days? How about joining us on Sunday afternoons in the Salt Lake City area? Or on Sunday evenings in the Logan area, we do a weekly verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study. We get together with people from all over the place to study the Word of God, and then there's socialization afterward. Uh, You can go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like directions, times, things like that. We are just 11 days away from October 31st, 10.30 p.m., where we're going to launch our newest television program through Aletheia Media, and it's called The Gray Generation. We hope you'll encourage your teens and young adults to tune in on uh, Halloween night after they've eaten all the candy in the world and uh, check out uh, what the show's about. So let's watch the opener for a second. One more time.
We're going to have a fun time Saturday night, October 31st, the launch show, 10.30 p.m. Join us. It seems, according to a Fox 13 News story, that five LDS chapels in South Jordan and Riverton were vandalized. Rocks were thrown through windows with typewritten notes that said, Stop spreading your lies, pagans. Police say that the, message, the messages left may constitute a hate crime. An alleged LDS member of the church was quoted as saying, quote, definitely a hate crime. Just because you're Mormon, people don't like you. Now, why do you suppose that LDS, alleged LDS member said, just because you are Mormon, people don't like you? Is that true? Or if not, why do general LDS people believe that? And if it is true, why is it true? We really want to hear from the LDS as to why this attitude uh, exists. Why do you think that just because you're Mormon, people don't like you? Call in and tell us, please, when we open up the phone lines. Now, I have an idea that it could be for an assortment of reasons, but I want to give you one quote, and it kind of set the tone, the attitudinal tone of LDS, and it was given by the second prophet of the church, Brigham Young, here in the Salt Lake Valley. And when the prophets of a founding church that are spread throughout an area, and the area still exists today, says something like this, I think that this may be a reason why people automatically don't like you if you say you're Mormon. Brigham Young said, quote, I have many a time in this stand, talking about the pulpit he was in, dared the world to produce as mean devils as we can. We can beat them at anything. We have the greatest and smoothest liars in the world, the cunningest and most adroit thieves, and any other shade of character that you can mention. We can pick out elders in Israel right here who can beat the world at gambling, who can handle all the cards, cut and shuttle them with the smartest rogue on the face of God's footstool. I can produce elders here who can shave their smartest shavers and take their money from them. We can beat the world at any game. We can beat them because we have men here that live in the light of the Lord, that have the holy priesthood and hold the keys of the kingdom of God. But you may go through all the sectarian world and you cannot find a man capable of opening the door of the kingdom of God to admit others in. We can do that. We can pray the best, preach the best, and sing the best. We are the best looking and finest set of people on the face of the earth. And they may begin any game they please and we are on hand. We can beat them at any time we have a mind to begin. They may make sharp their two-edged swords, and I will turn out the elders of Israel with greased feathers and whip them to death. We are not to be beat. We expect to be a stumbling block to the whole world and a rock of offense to them, end quote. That's from the November 9th, 1856 Journal of Discourses 477. So maybe that is a reason that that attitude still stays in the hearts of some Latter-day Saints. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, dated October 13th, the newest Catholic saint, Father Damien, who was canonized by Pope Benedict the 16th at the Vatican uh, two Sundays ago, he was posthumously baptized a Mormon, given Mormon temple endowments, and then sealed to his parents on October 22nd of 1983 in the Los Angeles temple. That's amazing. Then, get this. The celibate for life Catholic saint was sealed, meaning he was married on March of 2000 to a woman named Marie Damon. 
He has never married anybody in his real life. It was against his vows. And yet they took him and they sealed him posthumously to a woman that they said may have been his wife. Once again, the LDS think that what they offer is so appealing that everybody in the world would want to have it, even though they would have certainly rejected it when they were alive. Maybe, just maybe it's things like that that makes people not like Mormons when they say, I'm a Mormon. You tell us, please. In the classic film, Judgment at Nuremberg, actor Spencer Tracy said, just because something is logical does not make it right. Isaiah 55.9 reads, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When men and women are not satisfied with the information that God gives us in his word, when his ways are not logical enough for them, they often construct their own doctrines and practices to fill this faithless void. And if they are Joseph Smith, they call these things revelations. God does not tell us in his word what we are going to do for eternity. So Joseph did. God did not delineate what the state of human families would be in the hereafter. So Joseph did. You see, Joseph, diff Joseph learned to love telling people about things that they could not see but claimed that only he could see. In his early life, he used to take a rock and go around to people's farms and say, I can tell you where there's buried treasure on your farm by looking in this rock. And for a fee, he would try and get this treasure secured for the family uh, as a treasure revelator and seer. And he was arrested and convicted of this in a court of law. This is documented evidence. He did this with this rock on people's property and was convicted for it. So then with the very same rock, he suddenly claims to have found a golden book in a hill close to his home. And with that rock, he translated that into a book called the Book of Mormon. When he discovered that revealing so-called hidden spiritual truths was much more defensible in, uh, in life, he gave up money digging and built himself the reputation of being a prophet, seer, and revelator of hidden religious truth. What happened to the aboriginals who had not heard the Mormon gospel? Joseph told us. What did man do before he came to earth? Joseph told us. Where did man come from? Joseph contradicted the Bible and gave us a more logical, if not more Hellenistic, uh, response. Where did God come from? What does God look like? How was Jesus conceived? Where did Satan come from? What do you do if you meet a spirit? Joseph explained it all in detail, all the way down to how to shake hands with a spirit if you come across one, just like he explained in detail where buried treasures were that only he could see with the rock in front of his face. What happens to children if they die? Joseph told us. What's the purpose of life? What will we do uh, in heaven? Are there men on the moon? Can a man have more than one wife? Why are some people born with black skin? Where did the American Indians come from? Where was the Garden of Eden located? And on and on and on, Joseph told us because Joseph could see. And people believed him the world over because he filled in the gaps and he provided certainty. And with that certainty, he killed 
the process of faith and people trusting God. You see, now they say they know. Um, they know the Book of Mormon is true. They know that they existed before they came to this world. They know the church is true. They know Thomas S. Monson is a prophet. Not they trust, not they believe, they know. Charlatans have always claimed, always claimed to know the hidden secrets of life, of God and about the world. But God says, trust me, trust my word, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Growing up in Huntington Beach, I had a couple of friends whom I always loved and resonated, even if we didn't hang out with each other all the time. And one was a very artistic girl whose name was Holly, and she has been my friend since I was 11 years old. Holly is now a respected artist, educated, graduated from Yale, a master's in art, successful. And I had the blessing of being able to catch up with her uh, the other day over lunch in Los Angeles. The two of us had another friend named Steve, who since as far back as I can remember, he was an aggressive, go after life with all you can get kind of guy, and a surfer, and uh, neither Holly nor Steve are believers. Holly informed me that a year or so back, Steve suffered a heart attack and actually died, but that they brought him back to life. And she went and visited Steve, and she told me at lunch that she said he was terrified and that he had a very scary experience, and he told her, I don't want to go back, Holly. Now, this is Steve who would never, ever say something like this unless it happened, and he said he was surrounded by darkness, and he was surrounded by, the only way he could describe it, were demonic faces. And... This was just not something that Macho Steve would say, but Holly says she could tell he had experienced what he had experienced. Six weeks later, Steve suffered another heart attack, and this time he died. The solution to the demonic darkness is there. It is the only solution available to this dying world. His name is Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, whatever you want to call him, and he called himself without shame the light and the light of this world. Um, some hear his call because he calls to all to receive him, but some will not. I hope that Steve, in the short interim of his life, before he returned to the Spirit, was able to discover and receive Yeshua's call. It literally means the difference between an eternal life in light or an eternal life in darkness. I pray that Holly hears the call too. And with that, let's have a prayer. Dear God, we thank you and pray uh, for this program, for our audience members, wherever they may be, for our YouTube uh clips and this for people to come to know the true and living God, even you, Lord, through uh, their faith. And we just pray that you will continue to bless uh, the seekers and help them to open their eyes and ears and know you so they can be set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we talked about one of the unspoken fruits of Mormonism, atheism. And we said that not believing in God is often the result of people buying into an errant LDS teaching that it is the only true church on the face of the earth and then discovering that they have been lied to. 
this often leads them to being so burned in their heart that they have come to hate and even renounce God altogether. Additionally, we mentioned two facts that the atheists ought to consider. The first was that atheism is a faith. It's a faith in no God. It requires an extraordinary amount of belief in no God. The second fact we discussed was in reference to the atheist claims that belief in God usually equates to bloodshed and violence historically and even present day. They'll cite 911 as example of that. Regarding this, we illustrated that atheistic governments were far more inclined to inhumane governess than theistic ones. Tonight, I'd like to give those who ardently believe and know God a few more points to consider. Next week, we will return. We're going to pick up and finalize polygamy, how it ended, and then we're going to go into more modern-day Mormonism from that point forward. The first thing the smug atheist arguments say about God and, its, and believers in God is that he is a big crutch, uh, that Nietzsche's Superman, or what Nietzsche called the Ubermensch, would never need to buy into such a myth like that. Borrowings from such proud ideologies made popular by, by men like Frauerbach and Nietzsche, uh, Karl Marx quipped one of the most famous lines about people who believe, saying, religion is the opiate for the masses. In other words, us masses want there to be a God to quell our fears from lightning and thunder and nature, to protect us from the unknown, to comfort us from the guilt and shame we carry around, and to pacify us in the dark face of the inevitable, death. I would suggest that there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of truth to what Feuerbach and Nietzsche and Marx had to say. But by agreeing, I also want to ask, so what? What's wrong with human beings wanting a source of spiritual comfort in the face of their sins and failures? What's wrong with giving allegiance to a power and source that is reliable and unshakable and trustworthy and kind? Is an atheist a better human being, a stronger human being, a more loving human being because they embrace the faith of denial over an individual who chooses to make him or herself accountable to a living God? I would suggest where atheists call theists' belief in God a crutch, that the atheist denial of God is motivated by a fear of accountability. Tell me, what is more convenient philosophically for the adulterer, the murderer, the liar, and the thief? To deny the existence of God and thereby remove the fear of retribution for his crimes or to embrace the notion of God and therefore live each day with the inevitable consequences of the actions they have taken. The bottom line, atheism and all of its forms becomes the vehicle by which men and women are able to ignore, renounce, or hide from the consequences of their actions. It's the best cop-out on earth with the worst consequences. The, po the Polish poet uh, Czesław Milosz, who won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1890, I mean 1980, commented on this atheistic attitude in an essay he wrote called The Discreet Charm of Nihilism. 
Milos, who was silenced by Stalinism and Nazism, wrote this, and we're going to bring it up on the screen. Read what a guy who experienced atheism wrote. He said, religion, opium for the people. To those suffering pain, humiliation, illness, and serfdom, it promised a reward in the afterlife. And now we are witnessing a transformation. A true opium of the people is a belief in nothingness after death, the huge solace of thinking that for our betrayals, greed, cowardice, and murders, we are not going to be judged. The Marxist creed has been now been inverted. The true opium of modern it, modernity is the belief that there is no God so that humans are free to do precisely as they please. To me, a stated faith in no God is about as egocentric a statement that could ever be made. And it's cemented to the idea that the speaker who says there is no God has experienced and seen everything. There is no God. How do they know? Have they examined the entire world? Have they looked under every rock to find him? So they, when they say there is no God, there's a tacit belief there that they have looked at everything. It's so egocentric because, of course, they haven't. But for some reason, atheists believe that he doesn't exist without having seen an, a teaspoon of evidence. And by the way, this argument cannot be flipped on those who say there is a God. All the evidence does not need to be examined for a person to see that God exists any more than a microscopic examination needs to be taken of Donald Trump's body to see if he exists. A couple evidences of him there prove it. But in order to categorically deny that uh, Donald Trump exists, a person would have to literally examine the entire universe to make sure he wasn't hiding somewhere. Do you understand that? The leads, this, excuse me, leads us to a final criticism atheists heap upon believers today. That Christianity is a leap into an unfounded chasm of unsubstantiated claims and that science has disproved the evidence for God. Enter Richard Dawkins, atheist extraordinaire and author of The God Delusion. Dawkins ignorantly and consistently insists that faith in God is the process of non-thought, that believers in God possess, quote, blind trust in the absence of evidence. While Dawkins' inflammatory accusations may carry weight against some so-called faith-based religions like Mormonism, where people believe in books and claims that have absolutely no evidentiary basis, he is truly guilty of his own accusation of non-thought when it comes to biblical Christianity. Great 20th century Christian thinkers like Wolterstorff, Plantinga, Swineberg, and C.S. Lewis, to name a few, have made robust intellectual cases for faith and have helped true Christians the world over to see that God does not expect us to blindly embrace his claims or the claims of every piker that steps up to a pulpit. God himself in his own words tells us through the prophet Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. Paul told us to earnestly contend for the faith. 
which was once given to the saints. And Paul called the Bereans in the book of Acts more noble because they received the word of God with readiness of mind, mind, right? And searched the scriptures daily to see what was told them was true or not. You find me a true Christian and I will show you a man or a woman who will reasonably seek and explore all truth no matter how hard it is to hear, embrace, and even incorporate into their Christian walk. But you show me a true atheist and I will show you one of the most closed-minded people you have ever met. Atheists often equate the theist's belief in God with the belief in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. This accusation, too, is weighted in the balance and found wanting. I stopped believing in the tooth fairy when I was about six, and I stopped believing in Santa Claus by the time I was seven because I started thinking and reasoning about the proposition of a fat man fitting down the chimney of every home in, a, in the world on the same night and said, no, that doesn't work. Atheists stopped believing in God because they stopped reasoning at some sad point in their lives and gave into the notion, the egotistical notion, that they have seen it all. Hand in hand with the false claim that Christians don't have a sound core intelligence with their faith comes the relentless claim that science has all but decimated the archaic notions of God. Has science proven anything of God's non-existence by exploring the structure of space, the universe, the galaxy, the solar system, or Earth? It's only supported it in my position. Has science proven anything at all about there not being a divine power by discovering DNA or the cell or examining the construct of a simple rose? Can science explain the origins of our seasons, of billions of stars and planets in a single galaxy, which is one of a trillion other galaxies? Can it tell us how the, we have the diversity of foods about the wonders of music, about the variety of our fingerprints or the snowflake? Take a computer, break it down into its smallest component parts, take it out into the desert and scatter it there. How many billion years will it take for that computer to put itself back together? How many? A trillion years? How many? A, a, a billion trillion years? It, or, or will it never happen? Sit a thousand monkeys behind a typewriter and have them all sit there all day for, for however long it takes and replace them as they die. How long will it take those thousand monkeys at typewriters to rewrite Shakespeare's uh, Hamlet? How long? A billion years? Ever? It'll never happen. And yet they insist there's no creative intelligence. There's no creative design. There is no God behind this wonderful universe. Look at the simple cell of our bodies. You guys have denied it because you've been burned. He is there and he speaks to you. But you deny it because you love the darkness more than light and you egocentrically love what Milosh called that, that, uh, that sweetness of nihilism. Can science ever tell us why we're here, where we're going? Can science ever tell us why we love, why humans forgive in this barbaric world, why things happen like that, or the, or the beauty of language in children and babies? God is whether people believe it or not. Having been one who once deconstructed him into an almost nihilistic position, I can tell you that believing in God is far superior 
to believing in no God. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Listen, while the operators are clearing your call, let me... Um, Take a minute and talk about our ministry and your support of it. First of all, we want to thank all of you for supporting Aletheia Ministries through whatever means the Lord has led you to act. Many of you pray for us constantly. You pray for me. I can't tell you how much these prayers are appreciated and how far they go in keeping me uh, alive in some cases and going. Uh, sincere prayer to our God and King on behalf of this ministry will do more than any other kind of support. I have to repeat that. Your sincere prayers for this ministry will do more than any other kind of support. So just remember that. Uh, your financial support is also appreciated. Whether great or small, it all goes toward keeping and expanding the ministry in a good direction. We want to thank you for this form of support and your sacrifice. Finally, we also thank everybody who volunteers, who have stepped forward with their time and talents and energies for the ministry. The studio right now is full of people who give their uh, time of their life in uh, seeing heart now the gray generation produced and aired each week. You see me, I'm the front man, the, you know, you hear me talk, the face and mouth, sometimes half the body, but you know, they are the heart and the lungs and the arterial system and the nervous system of this ministry. And they're the ones who are the most important, truly. So we all work together. We thank you for whatever form of support you have lent and uh, in keeping Aletheia Ministries alive. Let's look at the phones. We have uh, somebody from New Hampshire and uh, let's take them. It looks like Diana. Diana, you're on Heart of the Matter. Diana, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm on a cell phone, so hopefully you can hear me. Hey, just have a couple of questions for you. Yes. Okay, uh, first question, uh, let me briefly tell, tell you why I'm calling. Uh, I'm from New Mexico originally. I was in Texas last summer. One evening walking my dog, Mormon missionaries come by, and, you know, they start giving me this feel, sun's going down, and they see blonde hair, dark skin, wait. She's not all white. She's half white and half black. And they kind of get huffy and leave. And I kept wondering, why would they do that, you know? And I don't I, know. In the history Someone of the church and, and so on, and read about things bringing them says, blah, blah, blah. Some of this is pretty racist stuff. So I asked... Um, you know what? I'm having yeah. trouble understanding your question, Diana. Hi. What is your question? My question is, since you grew up, LDS, first question, is, um, and you heard all these, like, uh, you know, racist things uh, from the past. When I asked LDS people today, they've never heard of them. They yeah. Yeah, they've changed they changed. They've changed it, and yeah, when I grew up, the racist comments were there. In fact, when I moved to Park City for two years in 2000 to 2002, the racist comments, some of them were up there in that ward. And I think the old school guys still have them in their heart. Now, the younger generation of LDS may not, because they've stopped emphasizing it, but uh, the, definitely the racist comments were there when I was uh, uh, in the LDS church. Yeah, one LDS friend I had at work was quite shocked. He couldn't believe that these were things Brigham Young. Yeah, they act shocked now, but uh, but it doesn't really matter. Anything else, my friend? Yes. Second question having to do with uh, last week's topic, but you were talk talking about it just now with the some non-religious non-believer. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's 
not so much that, hey, uh, you know, I don't believe in God, I hate people, you know, they're religious. No, not, not quite like that at all. Just um, uh, I am only willing to go so far and say, well, there's certain things that happen that I can't explain, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. So Thank you so much, Diana. Wait, 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 wait. So my question to you is, is uh, how are you so sure, okay, in what you believe? Uh, you know, Joseph Smith made up stuff from 200 years ago, stuff that we know about crisis from 2,000 years ago. It could be made up stuff we have no way of doing. But what makes you, Sean McCraney, so sure, okay, that this is for real and it's just not made up stuff and I'll take Go ahead. Let me tell you, okay? Jesus is the truth with a capital T. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. And so you can know, according to 1 John, you can know, that means know him, because you can only know truth. So because I know him, I can say in, without hesitation that I know truth and other people who have come to be spiritually regenerated through their faith through the blood of Christ saved by grace they know truth it's the only truth you can stand on now I can't say I know that the Book of Mormon is true because it's not it's it's not completely true it, there's parts of it that are true because it's taken from the Bible but I can't say that's I can't say a church is true I can't say something that is that is not true, is true. But Jesus is true. So I, the Bible tells me I can know this truth. All right? That's how I can say the way I believe is true because he is what I base my faith on. If someone tells me I know the church is true, I know this man is a prophet, I know that Sean McCraney never makes a mistake, we can say they're full of it. But if we say we know Jesus is the true and living God, we can, we can assure ourselves that that's true because he is true. Does that make any sense? Yes and no. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk again. I, I, I got to let you go, my friend. Thank you so much for the call. We're going to John in Salt Lake City. First time caller. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. John is gone. Going to read some emails. First of all, I want you to look at this. I'm going to hold this up. I didn't tell our director this. But I got this in the mail today. This is a typewritten letter. This is page one. Okay. There's page one. Here's page two. Uh -huh. This is page three. Uh -huh. And right here at the bottom, this says, my husband says you'll never read this entirely. Was he right? Yes. He was right. All right. Now, I did scan it, however, uh, Carolyn Madigan, who wrote this in defense of her faith and to go after me with everything she had. And, and Carolyn, um, thank you for the letter. Don't send me any more, all right? We'll just leave it at that. All right, got a, uh, an email from a guy who calls himself Wade Man. He sends us a, a lot of emails, but Wade Man said this. Uh, I'd turn to atheism myself if I knew that the LDS church was not what it claims to be. That would mean God does not exist. So that shows you from Wade Man the 
power this institution has over them, that they have so tied God and, and the, the, the magnificent God to that institution that this man who, who sometimes writes some very nice things and he seems intelligent, that he would deny God if he found out Mormonism wasn't true. So now you can see why people will watch the show and the first thing they do is say, you're a liar, you're wrong, we hate you, you're an anti-Mormon. Instead of saying, wow, maybe that's true because of this thing that they've built into them. Let me take one more. This is from Jur, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He said, you mock President Monson's voice when you quote him, you have laugh tracks and people audibly laughing in the background to show how funny you are. Um, <laughs> I want you to know, Jur, that I don't have a laugh track. Uh, we just have some people who have very good senses of humor and uh, th that's what you hear. There are no laugh tracks. And by the way, for those, those of you who think we set up calls and we orchestrate this, we have never set up a call. We've never asked anybody to call in and we'll talk to them uh, and set up pre beforehand what's gonna go on. Uh, finally, Doug Thatcher writes, pretty clear that you think you have figured this whole thing out and can provide all the answers. That's a load that's not easy to back up. I think your 15 minutes of fame will pass one day. You know, uh, Doug, I don't care if my 15 minutes of fame pass right now. Um, I am here to try to share Jesus with Latter-day Saint people who do not know him, who believe that the institution is of God and put their faith and trust in the institution instead of Jesus Christ himself. So um, I don't think I have anything figured out except Jesus Christ. I preach and teach Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's all I know. Everything else... We uh, turn to the word and try to find answers. But Jesus Christ is all I truly know. Okay, let's go to Eloy in Salt Lake City on line four. Eloy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Eloy? Yes, Sean? You're on the air. Hi. Uh, first, I want to say thank you for what you do and uh, spreading the good word. I barely came around to really getting into the Bible. Um, always figured myself a real spiritual person. Um, but finding more and more that it's pretty much all in the Bible, and that's where we got to turn to. Um, the reason why I called in was because uh, I heard you mention the uh, searing stones that uh, Joseph Smith used Yeah. Um, in his original, uh, before he started the, uh, the LDS religion and whatnot. But what I also um, read was that he actually used that uh, searing stone and a top hat to actually um, basically read these, tab these tablets that he had. Yeah. And um, in the Bible, it clearly states that all sorcery and all uh, fortune-telling and all that is completely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's condemnable. I mean, it's, it's, it's up there with murder and, and all that other stuff. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious why it is that I can find this information fairly easily, but how it is other followers of the LDS religion don't see that clearly, see that, you know what, the religion is based off of basically fortune telling, which is against God. Yeah. So, how is it that you can even go along with it? I mean, even Nostradamus, who you know a lot of people praise and whatnot, he even claimed that. He even yeah. said that, "Hey, because I'm looking into the future and whatnot, and according to God, I'm doomed to hell." Yeah. I mean, he even claimed that. So, I'm kind of wondering why it is that there's not more kind of brought to that. You know, brought to the point of this is all based off of fortune telling, which is completely and you know against God. Yeah, 
Eloy. That you can follow it. Yeah, the, uh, there's a couple things. One, uh, belief is far stronger than facts within Mormonism. And so uh, they can even be exposed to some of these things lately. Well, the past uh, 10, 15 years, LDS leaders have slipped some of this stuff into their ensign magazines and other things. They have said, you know, there was a, a stone used that J uh, Joseph, they'll slip it in there. But the, the majority of people don't hear it because they don't want to hear it. It would shake their faith. They're slipping it in now because of the advent of the internet. And they know their members are going to be deluged with this stuff some point in time. So now they can go back and say, we told you about it here and here. But you're right. It's, it's ridiculous that this man, and the thing about Joseph Smith translating the Book of Mormon with the seer stone is first he pretended that the plates were under a cover as he translated, okay? And that he sat there and then he started using the stone in the hat trick and that went for a while. And then he finally translated the Book of Mormon by just direct revelation. He didn't use the hat. He didn't use the stone. He didn't use the plates. He would translate the Book of Mormon when the plates weren't even in the room. This is church history, folks. When you think there is these actual plates that he, he transcribed letter for letter etched in gold, not so. So that's church history. Go to utlm.org to find this stuff out. So it's a good point, Eloy. I really appreciate it, my friend. Uh, thank you, Sean. I appreciate everything you do. God bless you, bud. God bless you. Great, great points. Let's go to Sarah and Logan. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I have a question for you. Okay. Did you see that article in the Salt Lake Tribune about the priest that um, was sealed in the temple to a woman? Yeah. I talked about okay. that at My the opening. Is, I went to work, and I asked everybody that I knew if that is something that LDS people do is... Uh, seal people to arbitrary women, you know, and everyone that I talked to said the only thing they knew was that you were married to your spouse that, you know, you're living with on earth now. So is that something that happens yeah. a lot or ever? Yeah, I, th I don't know about a lot, but I know it happens in the early days of the church. It especially happened. I mean, getting people sealed to you was like, uh, it was like collecting monopoly properties. I mean, you wanted a lot. But now I don't know what happens. I would, I would be willing to bet that any apostle, uh, uh, well, I could get in trouble with this because I could be wrong, but I would be willing to guess strongly that most apostles have had other women posthumously sealed to them uh, who when they die, they'll have other wives. I couldn't prove it. I don't know. But I would suspect definitely up until 1970s, up to this time, maybe they backed off from that. But if they're a true believing Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants 132 is definitely still doctrine. They believe it's an eternal principle. Multiple wives is of God, and the quotes are there. So I would think it's still going on, yes. Okay, because it seems like a lot of people don't know that goes on. I know. And, uh, you know, uh, the thing is, is those records are sealed, so you can't really have access to them, I don't think. But maybe if someone knows that if people are arbitrarily taking female names and sealing them to a man who has a wife here living on earth, it'd be interesting to find out. Great question, Sarah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listen, on that topic, I just want to say something that's a little sensitive. I've been seeing on People Magazine, I think it is, in the grocery store, where um, Elizabeth Smart is on the cover. And it's been on the news, and she's now, I guess, uh, uh, in college, and she's come out publicly, and she's told her story. And what a horrific story it was. And my heart goes out to that young girl who's taken from her bedroom by this maniac and, uh, and raped 
uh, and, and kept in bondage for those nine months of her life. It's a sad, sad story. But on the cover of People magazine, I believe that the, the byline to the picture was, um, she's seeking justice. She seeks justice. And, and I just want to say something. I want to make an appeal. And, and it's twofold. First and foremost, your justice, Elizabeth, if you happen to hear about this, is going to be through your love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no justice uh, in, in terms of um, legal uh, uh, whatever for this man. How could anything happen? They could put him to death. That's not going to replace what Jesus can do in healing you. And so, my friend and sister, you could have this peace that would come and it would transcend any legal court action that would happen. But secondly, uh, I just want you to consider something. If you really want to understand, Elizabeth, and you're about ready to go on a mission now for the church, read Doctrine and Covenants 132 and read about what the, where the origins were of this man's attitudes, how he came from the very church you're going out to represent and how he fully embraced what the FLDS embraced. And he took it to its limits of what Joseph Smith himself did. He got himself another bride. In fact, Doctrine and Covenants 132 says, if you take a virgin and she is not betrothed to somebody else, it's okay. So I just want you to read Doctrine and Covenants 132, my sister. And before you go out and preach the very religion that caused this man to snap and do the horrible things he did. I know it's strong. I'm sorry. My heart is out to you. I, uh, we pray for you, but I just want you to know uh, the facts about what caused that. All right, let's go to Georgia, Nampa, Idaho. George, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, you're looking good. Thanks, George. So are you. Hey, I've got a short train of thought. Yeah. Okay, Christians uh, belong in Christ. Christ is in the Word. The Word is in the Bible. But Mormons don't believe the, believe the Bible, so consequently... Coming back to the circuit, uh, they can't be Christians. It's a it's a great uh, syllogism. I like the I like the logic of it. All Works right. well. Well, that's, that's it. Uh, hey, George, I really appreciate. It. Thanks for waiting uh, to share that. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Well, take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. We have uh, Reggie in Springville and it's someone named Bob on the line. But I have uh, two questions from uh, emails, I guess. Where are the gold plates now? Uh, Joseph Smith said that the angel Moroni, he's the guy playing the trumpet on the top, whatever it is, horn, on the top of all the Mormon temples. He told Joseph, once the gold plates were translated, that he was going to take them back to heaven. And so that's where they are, somewhere in heaven. And uh, there's another question that says, do you feel bad that your mom might not be saved because of the LDS teachings? Um, I feel bad that anybody is not going to be saved because of the LDS teachings. My mother, of course, I would want my mother to uh, embrace Christianity to its fullest. And I'm gonna say something I haven't said in four years on this show, but my mother doesn't believe in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> my mother doesn't believe Joseph Smith was a prophet. My mother is a cultural Mormon who first learned about Jesus and joined the church to help her raise her family. This is part of my perspective about there being Bible-believing uh, uh, people in uh, the LDS church who are in there for the wrong reason. And I wish my mother would bail. I would never uh, say that she's in hell when she dies. I would never say anybody is in hell when they die, including Gordon B. Hinckley uh, or uh, uh, Thomas Monson. 
Nevertheless, I wish my mother was a Christian because in my opinion, if she embraces any of the doctrines of uh, Mormonism, when she dies, she's going to find all her life's work, if she really did believe in Jesus, were a waste. And, and she's going to inherit a little tiny shack instead of a mansion that God has for her because her works were all based on her own efforts. And that's the same way with many of you. But the problem is the born-again experience. I don't know uh, what her state is, but I feel sad for anybody who's been misled uh, because of Mormon doctrine. Let's go to Reggie in Springville. First-time caller. Reggie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Reggie. How you're on the air. Yeah, thanks. Um, I just had a quick comment for you. Uh, first off, I'm, I'm loving the show. Cause I'm, I'm pretty much hooked uh, basically every week. I make sure that I'm at home at this time to watch. <laughs> so, love the show. Um, but uh, basically, I am uh, active duty military, and uh, I'm stationed at BYU. So, as you can very well imagine, I'm surrounded by literally hundreds of thousands of Mormons. Um, I work with the majority of them. Uh, basically on staff and doing ROTC program, I deal with a bunch of cadets. Now, over the course of the last couple of years, I've, I've experienced enough stuff now that I, I have a personal motto that typically gets me through the days. Uh, first, take nothing that they say personally, and the other thing is take nothing that they do seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't afford to, because... If you do, then you're going to be miserable. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and I've come close to that a few times with, with my close coworkers, huh. that they would say something, and I'm like, where did that come from? Wow. It's, it's, like, it's like you lose the, the baseball and the lights, and you think you're going to catch it, and you drop it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, nothing serious, nothing personal. <laughs> yeah, it's a, good, it's a good bromide to go by, Reggie. Thanks so much. No problem. God bless you. You take care. All right, you too, though. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Grig in Roy, Utah. Grig, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Hi. Is it, oh, okay. Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Hi, Sean. This is Grig. Hey, Rick, Grig. Okay, I better turn this off. It's going to confuse me. There we go. Okay. Um, my question is, of course, you know I've been going to the Calvary Church here in, in Roy, and, then I, and I was born and raised LDS. And one thing that I'm noticing that's very different about the Christian church is they emphasize the glory of God. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around what is the glory of God. Wow. Yeah, you know, Greg, I've never, I've never really contemplated the difference between Mormonism and Christianity when it comes to the glory of God, but you are so right on that. They don't talk about the glory of God unless it's talking about Joseph Smith's first vision. But the Christians right. understand the glory of God far better because they're in his word. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, Christians talk about the Shekinah glory of God shining down over the uh, holy temple. Christians believe, according to what the Bible says, that he's a, he's a holy fire. That he's a consuming fire. And this, uh, this of course, being... Uh, in the form of a non-body, non-anthropomorphic God. Maybe the LDS have, uh, have trouble identifying to the glory of God because they put him in a body. And so they might understand a glorious nature. You know, Joseph Smith said that God was shining above the, the sun of the, the noonday, but nevertheless, 
You know, you're right. That's a really good uh, uh, observation, my friend. But I just remembered one scripture where Jesus says right before he was crucified, he said, glorify me, the Son, as uh, glorify the Father also. Something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, right before he was crucified. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the glory of the Lord showed on the Mount of Transfiguration. So much so that the apostles who were with him said, hey, let us build shelters just to, to keep it in. You know, he was just, his real identity came out of that flesh, and it was glorious. You know, so a really good point. I really appreciate it, Greg. Take care. Okay. All right, Sean, thanks. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Jennifer and Logan. Jennifer, first-time caller. You're on Heart of the Matter. All right. Hello. Um, I just had a question about um, if there was any way as a non-Mormon, and I'm a Christian, if, but my family's Mormon, is there any way to know if, um, or to find out if they put my name in the temple, if they have sealed me to them, or if they've done any baptisms in my name, or anything? I mean, I, I tell them all the time, no, <laughs> I hope not, but I mean, is there any way to, to know for sure? Well, let me ask you this, Jennifer, were you LDS first with your family, and then you left? No, I have never been um, okay. LDS in my life. Okay. Uh, the, the, the question, is there any way to know for sure? No. But there could be a way to know for sure that you're on the records. There's no way to know for sure that you're uh, not. Uh, and so the way to know for sure is you can go to the Salt Lake. You can write the LDS church and say, I want to know. This is my name, date of birth. Am I on your records? Or has temple work been done? Now, I know there's a woman in Salt Lake. I can't remember her name. I've emailed back and forth with her a few times. She's the one who releases all this information about, like, Obama's mother being having the Mormon work done for her and, and this Catholic priest having this. Thing. She, she really gets into it. Like, sorry, I can't remember her name, but she's really into it. She could probably find out. You know, and so if you email me with the question, I will then forward that to her, and then maybe she could find out for you. Okay, thank you. That'd be great. Yeah, you're welcome. God bless. Thank you. Take care. We're going to Melissa in Salt Lake City, but I want to tell you this too. Your name is never really taken off the records either when you have them taken off. <laughs> uh, what happens is they will list you as a non-member, uh, but that you will still be on the records of the church. And what happens is if 10 years from now you decided to join again and you went to your bishop, now that you've moved to Pascagoula, Mississippi, your bishop would go to the headquarters, they'd look up your name and they would say, oh, she asked her name to be taken off the records in 2009. So they always have a record of you. It's just you're not listed as a member of their church anymore. I don't know if they're counting you in their record numbers or not. Let's go to Melissa on line four. Melissa, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, so I, <laughs> I'm LDS. Uh -huh. I'm not sure where to begin, honestly. Um, first of all, I wanted to address the comment that was made about um, Mormons not believing in the Bible, because that's completely false. We do. Okay. Uh, Melissa, let's do, let's do something with each other here. I'll let, that was your first point, so let's talk about that one first, okay? Okay. Okay, what about the article of faith that says, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly? Correct. Because um, it's been it's been retranslated so many times that there have been precious truths that have been left out. Okay. So uh, we do believe in the Bible. Okay. Well, wait. But, but wait. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You, but you 
you say you believe in the Bible, but you say as far as it's translated correctly. So how do you know what verses are translated correctly and what verses are not? That's a really good question. Um, well, I believe that the, the version that we have, is it is in its correct form. Really? Well, that's interesting. That's a, good, that's a good response. If that were true, though, we would have a real difficulty with a number of theological issues. See, usually okay. the LDS missionaries and the apostles will say, well, we have other revelation that shows that that verse probably isn't translated right. Because you could not possibly be a Bible-believing Christian with what you have in your hands in your quad and believe, embrace Mormon uh, doctrine. It's impossible. How is that? I don't, I don't understand. Well, you have a number of factors that completely conflict with what the Bible says. And, for example? And, well, you do. I mean, I was, I was LDS, Melissa, for 40 years. I was a high okay. priest and a seminary teacher and a bishopric member and a high council member. And so I know. And if we had a long show, we're down to the last minute and 40 seconds. But we've done 200 shows about hour long that show the differences that cannot be considered biblical. But go ahead. I'll let you have the, the final word. Okay. Um, wow, you used to be a seminary teacher and bishop and all of that? Yeah. Wow. I'm, what happened? <laughs> I opened the Bible. Okay. I mean, but the Bible that you had when you were LDS, is it the same version that you... Yeah, same, uh, same version, now? Melissa. And, you know, I went after I left Mormonism, I went to, to a school of ministry for two years full time. We studied the Greek of the Bible. We studied the Bible. And I got to tell you, my friend, I mean, we could sit down and you might not agree with, with, um, with things, but you would have to agree that what the Bible says is contrary to what Mormonism says. And that's where we should really begin with this discussion. Wow. Um... Okay. All right. Listen, email me. Maybe we could talk more or whatever if you're questioning, if you're angry. But go back and watch some of our archive shows and look for the evidence. Pick it apart. Scream at me, whatever. But search it out. See if I'm wrong. Okay. All right, Melissa. God bless you. All right. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. That was a great call. I'm sorry, Levi and Clearfield. First-time caller. We're leaving you hanging. we got 14 seconds left. Listen, just go and open up that Bible. Ask God to give you clear eyes, clear ears, a heart that understands. Be convicted. Turn it to Jesus. He will save you. I promise you. He promises you. See you next week. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. Break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. I'm gonna break my rusty cage.